Okay. The music is winding down. I guess that means our question time is over. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, the correct answer is anything where you mix chocolate and peanut butter. That's for me. Um, that's where it's at. Uh, good morning, guys. My name is Joe. I'm the worship pastor here at Voice. Yes. And I only say that so I can get you guys to applaud. Thank you, Michael. I always appreciate that enthusiasm. No, it's so good to be able to, uh, to get up today and, and share from the scriptures with you guys. We've been in this series called B-Sides, which I love the cassette tape kind of imagery because I grew up in the 80s, you know, um, in the era of physical media where you actually had to put your hands on those kind of things where... Now, like my kids, or especially if you guys have, you know, grade school or younger, we're growing up, at, they're growing up in the, the time of the, the streaming era, right? Where you don't actually own physical media. And I, I think, and maybe this is just, you know, me getting older, you know, coming out here, but I think they're missing something because of that. There was something cool about going to the record store buying that album, you know, even if you got it home and it wasn't that great, you still like, you had a piece of that band or, or that movie or whatever that you wanted. I don't know. So, see, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, you know, I'm kind of, I like to think of myself as a late model Gen Xer, you know, not one of those kind of earlier, crustier models, but, you know, fairly more recent. So, I actually grew up, like, I, I, I lived through every season of physical media when it came to music. I had my first record player when I was five years old. And I'll never forget that thing. Um, thank you, Mom and Dad, by the way. I got it for Christmas. I guess that would have been like 1981, something like that. And I didn't listen to a lot of music on it. My parents bought me these read-along books. I don't know if any of you guys remember those. So, like, you would have the book, but then you'd play the record, and there was this really cool, like, it would go, turn the page, bing! And there was, like, this really nice sound, turn the page. My favorite one was The Hobbit. You know, it was like an abridged, like a short version of The Hobbit. I loved the story, but I would get so scared every time I turned the page and Gollum was there. Every time, you know, the whole, my precious, and, and all of that. No joke, I can remember, like, we had these gold spinning chairs. It was a very 1970s kind of thing. And I... Whenever I heard Gollum's voice, I'd have to look over the back of the chair just to make sure he wasn't hiding, you know, behind the chair to, to gobble me up like he said he was going to do to Bilbo. So I have fond memories of those days. Of course, the era of cassette tapes. I played in garage bands and we would, you know, record our music on the cassette tapes. Got into the era of CDs. Um, I have some friends who are still dedicated CD listeners. Any of you guys still listen to CDs? Anybody? We've got a few. You're holding on, right? Actually, and here's what's interesting. I think, I think it's just starting to, to shift, but for many years, CDs actually had better audio quality than streaming because they had to like squash the files down to get them small enough for you to, to stream on your phone, you know? Um, so I had, you know, I have friends who are kind of audiophiles, and they're like, no, CDs or where it's at. I have this one friend, every time you get in his car, you like kick over a stack of CDs, you know, and I'm like, I love the fact that you're holding on, man, but maybe it's time to, to move into, you know, the new era. Um, anybody still have a, a cassette tape collection? Anybody in the room? Oh, one, yeah, a couple of you guys. Good job, you know? I have my cassette still, and I do have a little boombox box 
ghetto blaster, you know, whatever you want to call it, and I'll bust them out. Um, any, anybody, any vinyl collectors in the room? Anybody have a record collection? Carrie, again, wow, you've got all the... You need to go out to their group just so you can see her, her uh, you know, tape collection and vinyl collection she's got at her house. Um, and, I, you know, I think eventually, and this is, again, probably my age coming out, but I think physical media will make a comeback in some way. Mark my words, just saying... I think it's going to happen. But one of the cool things about buying a a record or a tape or a CD was you got to see the artwork, you know, in the packaging. Um, I kind of missed that, getting that home and just kind of looking at, you know, how this band or or artist wanted to present themselves. I'll never forget. So I had, I'm the youngest of four kids, so I had older siblings um, and one of my older brothers had a cool record collection. And I'll never forget, one of the albums, I didn't even listen to it all that much, but uh, I would like stare at the cover, and the inside was Led Zeppelin IV. It's like this old 70s rock band, right? And we might have the picture to show you guys. Like, it had this picture of a, this guy with a bag of sticks on his back, but then it's in a room where you can tell now, oh, okay, you opened it up all the way, and it was like a dilapidated house where you could see. I don't know why this picture just transfixed me as a kid. Like, what, what does that mean? What is this all about? If you open the album on the other side, there was this cool kind of Gandalf wizard picture, you know. But does anybody know? So on this record, Led Zeppelin IV, what was the most famous song? Anybody want to shout it out? Who said it? Stairway to Heaven? Yes. I didn't hear where it came from, but that's right. Stairway to Heaven. Um, it's like eight minutes long. Like those kind of songs wouldn't be popular nowadays. Uh, kind of a rock opus, you know. Um, and it had that line at the beginning. That there's a lady who sure, there's a lady who sure, all the glitters is gold. And she's buying a stairway to heaven. And the song kind of moves on from there. And for some reason, that image of this stairway leading up to heaven kind of stuck with me, you know? Like in my, in my little mind, I probably heard that song when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old for the first time. And just that line, I didn't understand any of the rest of the lyrics, and I'm not sure the band that wrote it understood even what they were talking about. But that one line, Stairway to Heaven, was so fascinating to me. And so when I came across the Bible story that I want to share with you guys today, um, it interested me for the first, when I first heard it, because it talks about a stairway to heaven. And I remember hearing this story from the Bible when I was like, you know, a, a kid kind of growing up in, in, in church and in Sunday school. And I remember thinking, is there some connection? You know, like did Led Zeppelin, you know, try to connect their, their song to Genesis chapter 28? I'm not sure there's a whole lot of connection there, but it's like weird how things like that will make a story kind of stick out to you, you know? So I want to read This interesting story with you guys from Genesis chapter 28, it revolves around the life of Jacob. Um, Jacob's name, just to give you a little bit of background, his name literally means supplanter, usurper, deceiver. Um, And that is kind of how he lived a lot of his life. Uh, If you know Jacob's story before this, uh, what had happened was, he tricked his brother, you know, out of, um, out of the birthright. And then he tricked his dad with his mom's help out of the blessing that was supposed to go to the firstborn son. 
there's a whole story that goes into that. God had kind of prophesied it, but he decided to take this into his own hands. And so because of these lies and deception, his brother actually, his name was Esau, said, you know what, once our dad passes away, I'm going to kill him for what he's done. And so to, to get away from this heat, you know, uh, his mom kind of says, you know what, go lay low for a while. Uh, I want you to leave. Go find a wife. He goes back to his ancestral homeland, and she says, just, just take off for a while, you know. And, and that's sort of, that's, that's where Jacob's at when we get to this story, where he sees the stairway to heaven. He's on the run. So we'll begin in verse 10. It says, Meanwhile, Jacob, he left Beersheba, and he traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against, and he laid down to sleep. A nice, comfortable rock pillow that he had there. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. Maybe kind of hold that image in your mind, the angels of God going up and down. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. He sees God and he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid, and he said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Interesting, right? Jacob, in this turmoil, in this chaos that he's created in his life, has this moment where he's by himself, he's on the run, and he has this prophetic dream. And it's like his eyes are kind of opened, right, into the spiritual realm. And he realizes, whoa, God is in this place. Heaven is all around me. He gets this amazing promise. God's like, I'm not done with you, Jacob. There's good things coming in your life. You know, if there's any, ever a time where you think God would be like, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to, um, to work with this guy, <laughs> you know, God's like, no, the promise is secure. I'm with you. Heaven is all around. And, and Jacob has this realization like, I didn't even know. I didn't even see it. I didn't even realize that I was in a place where God was alive and working. It's kind of interesting, right? Heaven and earth had come together, sort of like this is an intersection of heaven and earth. This is a nexus. This is a, a meeting point, if you will. Now, that theme, that idea of, of heaven and earth, it's actually woven throughout the entire Bible. Um, this is kind of an interesting point, and I'm not trying to uh, you know, cause any sort of theological disruptions in anyone's life. But the Bible actually says more about heaven and earth than it does about heaven and hell, which is just kind of interesting. Um, I think it's easiest to think of heaven as, as God's space. You know, we think of as the unseen realm, the spiritual realm, and earth as our space, the, the physical world that we see around us. And if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, you had the story of, of the Garden of Eden, 
right? Where, where Adam and Eve, where mankind um, kind of coexisted with God in a perfect place, where heaven and earth were together, where, where Adam and Eve partnered with God, right? They were stewards of his good creation. There was a great blessing that was upon them. And yet, if you know the story, they walked away from that. They chose their own way. They chose to, to define good and evil on their own terms, right? And, and to, to try to be like God in that sense. And because of their sin, there was this rift that was torn between heaven and earth. They were cast out of that, that perfect space out to be on their own. But God didn't just walk away from that desire, right, to, to have covenant between heaven and earth, to bring them back together. In fact, there's a whole discussion that we can't go into uh, too much today of, of the temple and the tabernacle, the Jewish temple and tabernacle. I'm sure that you guys will be talking about this probably in your group. Um, that was meant to be a meeting place where man and God could come together, where heaven and earth could once again kind of be joined. And the priests would have all the cleansing rituals and the, the Levitical um, uh, prescriptions so then they could go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, right? It was supposed to be a hot spot, right, where, where heaven and earth are, are back together. But we know the story. You guys probably know some of the story of the Old Testament. It was that mankind, God wanting that fellowship, God wanting that um, that restoration, and mankind often just walking away from that time and again. But one of the themes is God's continual heart to bring us back, God's continual heart to, to fix that rift. And we get into the New Testament, we read the story of Jesus. If you go to John chapter 1, I want to just kind of briefly touch on this story because it's important. Um, Jesus early on was, you know, calling different people to, to become his disciples, to, to follow after him. And he had a brand new disciple named Philip. And Philip goes to a friend he had named Nathaniel. And he says, Nathaniel, you've got to come meet Jesus, right? You've got to come and see who we, I believe, you know, he's the Messiah. He's the son of God. He is the chosen one. He's the promised one. All of those things that were prophesied about in the Old Testament. So, so Philip is bringing his, his friend Nathaniel to meet Jesus for the first time. And this is the interaction they have. It says, as they approached Jesus, he looks at Nathaniel and he says, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. So, so just pausing for a moment there, you know, just because Jesus recognized him, right? Like he sees Nathanael, oh yeah, I know who you are. I know what you're about. I know you're a good guy, right? Nathaniel's like, whoa, you're the Messiah. Wow, you're the chosen one, you know. Um, and Jesus goes, that's actually not that amazing. You know, like, um, there's some cooler things that are going to happen. Here's what he says in, in verse 51. He says, then Jesus said, I tell you the truth. You will also see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Now, if you read that by itself, you might be like, 
what in the world? You know, like angels of God are going. But Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, right? That's a sort of a self-title that he, 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 call, he refers to himself in that way throughout the Gospels. But he says, you're going to see the angels of God going up and down, but where is it happening? Upon me. Right? There's a hyperlink there for sure. There's a hyperlink back to the Genesis 28 story of the angels of God going up and down, but then he kind of shifts it a little bit, right? It's not in a certain place. It's not a geographical location that's special for some reason. It's not, you know, a a temple which is on a, a mountaintop or anything like that. He says, it's happening right here in a person. Heaven and earth are coming together. It's kind of interesting, right? Like, rather than, like I said, that geographical location, he refers to himself. I think that's very important for us to kind of let soak in. Um, because of this, uh, what human beings were unable to accomplish because of our own weakness and sin, God accomplished by becoming a man himself, right? To rescue us and to bring heaven and earth back together. Right? That's the grace of God displayed right there. Like, you couldn't do it yourself. You know, we tried for thousands of years to repair this rift. God was true to his word. Mankind was not. So what did God do? Rather than giving up, he said, okay, I'll become a man, and then I'll heal the rift that way. That's such an amazing, to me, example of God's grace, God's goodness, God's love, that perfect love reaching out time and again. Um, Paul kind of emphasizes this point. When he's talking about the great plan of God, he sometimes calls it the mystery of God. It's in the book of Ephesians. I'm just going to read it real quick for you guys. It says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment. So he says this was the plan all along, right? This was what God was trying to accomplish this whole time. And he says this is it, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Right? He says, so Jesus is now that intersection. Jesus himself is uh, the nexus. He's the meeting place between heaven and earth. That's why when you read about Jesus in the Gospels, He's going around and he's healing people, right, of diseases. He's casting out demons. He's feeding thousands of people. He's doing all these things because his life, his personhood, is the place where heaven and earth come together. That's where healing happens. That's where, um, you know, those who are sick, those who are distant from God are brought back in because he has become that connection point. In Jesus, heaven has come down to earth, not in a place, but in a person. So you might be going like, okay, that's cool, Joe. You know, um, that's a nice uh, thought about God and, and maybe an explanation in some way of, of, of the gospel message. But what does that mean for me? You know, how does that reality impact my life? How this week can that truth kind of settle into my heart in a good way? I think this would be the take home, right? The, the thing that I would really want to emphasize um, with you guys today. Jesus promised us that as his people, he would be with us, right? I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always until the very end of the age. He told us he would give us his Holy Spirit. 
which is his very presence within our lives. But it's interesting, you know, we talked a little bit about, about the temple, how that was that, that meeting point. In the New Testament, we are often referred to as the temple. The Bible says you are the temple of God. You are the place where, where heaven and earth are connecting now. Think about the Lord's Prayer, if you're familiar with that. You know, if you ever said it in church or heard someone speak it forth. It starts off in, in worship and reverence, right? Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. But then what's the very next line? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus was saying, I want you to pray daily that heaven and earth would come together. I want your life to be characterized by this reality, this truth, that I've now provided a connection point between heaven and earth that can never be severed. I've healed that rift. I've brought that relationship back into wholeness. And now I invite you in to be a part of this coming together of heaven and earth. This, for me, has become kind of a transformative prayer in my own heart. Um, on a daily basis. You know, whatever situations I'm praying for, one of the first things I'm asking God is, Lord, how is heaven going to come to earth in this situation? That's what I want to see. I'm asking that heaven would invade the earth for this person's life that I'm praying for, that they're going through such a difficult time. I'm praying in my own heart as, you know, the things I'm struggling with, that, that heaven would invade, that the light of God would shine in because you have provided that nexus point between heaven and earth. There's a, a, an old book by a, a monk named Brother Lawrence, written back in the 17th century. It's called the, the Practice of the Presence of God. Maybe you guys have heard of it. I think if you've ever read uh, you know, Purpose Driven Life, uh, Rick Warren's book, I think he references this in, in his book. But he was, you know, a kind of a, a monk back in those days, um, as some people were wont to be. And um, his, one of his main jobs was, was serving and, and preparing food. He was like a 17th century nacho libre, right? Um, I'm sure he was asked, where are the spices? Where are the chips? You know, all those same kinds of questions that Nacho had, Brother Lawrence was probably asked too. And he, he had to do a lot of these just mundane tasks and things throughout the day that, you know, you'd think, well, this is just boring stuff. This is just the stuff we do. It has no significance it's just stuff I got to get done so I can do stuff I want to do more or whatever, you know. But, but the great epiphany of, of Brother Lawrence's life came when he started to kind of grab hold of this idea of heaven and earth coming together in our hearts. And he started this kind of a spiritual discipline, a spiritual practice that he called the practice of the presence of God. And what he would do is just remind, it comes back to simply reminding ourselves in any given moment that God is present. It's as simple as that, you know? Like, of course, when we come to church, you know, we're like, oh, okay, we're hopeful God's going to be present. He's going to do powerful things. And of course, we want that, right? Because there's something special when we gather together on Sundays or whenever, right? Um, when we have times of, of prayer, whether it's with a group of people or individually, or we spend time in the scriptures, we're always hoping, right? Okay, I want this to be a, a holy time, a time where, where I'll meet and speak with God. But what Brother Lawrence came to realize was any 
time, any moment in our lives is meant to be that way. In, in some sense, right? Like, of course, like there's important times where we focus in very, you know, single-mindedly on, on the Lord. But he started to practice this idea of whatever he was doing, you know, preparing a meal, cleaning up, um, doing the simple tasks of the day, just to stop and say, God, I know you're present right now. God, you're with me in this moment. Because of what Jesus has accomplished, heaven and earth are coming together right here and right now. What might seem like a boring, mundane task, what might seem like even a difficult season of our lives, is a time where God is present. See, I think my problem, to be honest with you guys, and and maybe you can relate to this, is I compartmentalize time so well. You know, like, all right, God, I'm going to have this great time of prayer then I'm going to do something else that's work-related or that's whatever, you know, boring task-related, and I kind of shut that off, right? God time is over, right? Now I'm doing my own thing, you know? And, and what I've been challenged by and I'm, I'm working through as I'm thinking about this practice of the presence of God is to really just be aware of God's presence in any given moment. You know, if you're doing the dishes or folding the laundry, that can be a moment where heaven and earth come together. When you're scrolling through social media, maybe you get to that warning on TikTok where it's like, you've been on here for a really long time. Maybe it's time to take a break. You know, That's a moment where heaven and earth can come together in your life. When you're stuck in traffic, you've been working the same job for years, and you just want to get out, right? That can be a moment where heaven and earth come together. When you're in that doctor's office and you fear that the news that you're about to get is not so good, heaven and earth are present in that time. In that moment when your toddler doesn't want to eat their lunch because you didn't cut their sandwich exactly the way that you want, they wanted it to be cut and they're throwing a fit, you know, heaven and earth are present in that time. It may not seem like it, you know, and I'm not saying that all of a sudden you're going to become the most reverent, holy, you know, uh, person in that moment, but but what if we just stopped, you know, in the middle of the tantrum, in the middle of the argument, in the middle of the anxiety to just say, God, I don't feel it, but I know you're here. I don't understand how this all works, you know, but I believe what I've been taught in Scripture and I want to cling to that. You know, if you have that area of contention with your spouse where there always seems to be that disruption to the peace in your home when this one topic comes up, right? That can be a moment where you stop and you pray just for a moment. God, I don't want this to turn into what it always turns into. I don't want this to end how it always ends. Help me see a better way. Show me right now, even as I'm ready to give that response, that cutting remark, show me how I can do this in a way that glorifies you. When you're all alone in a room full of people and you feel like no one sees or understands or knows what it is you're going through, God is present. Heaven and earth are there. The Lord sees and he knows he's in that moment with you. And if you've lost hope, you know, that things are ever going to improve in that situation, that's a moment where heaven and earth can come together. God is present in all those times. The the question for us is this, will we simply acknowledge it? And that's that's the only thing I'm trying to hopefully get you guys to take home with you today. To say, I'm going to stop, you know, at those times of the day where I normally don't. 
doing those things that I normally just do mindlessly without really thinking about anything other than whatever, the podcast I'm listening to or whatever is going on, to say, God, I know you're here. I want to be more aware of the fact that you're with me right now. I want to hear you speak. I want to invite you in to this mundane moment in my life and see what happens. See how God begins to move just by your acknowledgement that he's there. Heaven and earth meeting together in our hearts. And, you know, one last word. Maybe today you feel like your story kind of mirrors the story of Jacob. You know, uh, you feel like you've made a bit of a mess of some things and you're on the run. And you would think there's no way God is present. After what I've done, after what I've gone through, after, you know, the hurt that's I've caused or has been caused to me, I'm on my own. Let Jacob's story remind you that that's just not true. Right? In, in the midst of all the junk going on in his life, God was like, I'm still here. I didn't leave you. Those things I promised you before, they're all still true. I didn't walk away from those things I spoke. God never walks away from his promises. Isn't that amazing? Like he never says something and then doesn't follow through. And in the gospel, we see a God who literally became a man, right? To say, now we're going to have fellowship. Now that rift is going to be healed for all of eternity. Now your sins will be forgiven in a perfect way. That you can enter in to heaven's places. And I really believe as we, as we start to invite this idea into our hearts, as we start to, in the simple and the mundane and the hard and in the, in the good times, to just remind ourselves that God is present, he's going to start showing up in ways that you didn't expect. He's going to start working in ways that you didn't expect just because your heart is now ready and open. Let's not walk around like Jacob, like, I had no idea that God was even here. I didn't even know. I didn't even understand that God was present. Like, let's be aware of that. And watch him move. So let's go ahead and pray. We're going to enter back into uh, a time of worship. And of course, now I would just invite you guys to, to commune with the Lord as we sing, as we worship, as we praise. Um, allow this to be a moment where maybe if you're like, yeah, I haven't acknowledged God's presence all week, you know, that's all right. Acknowledge it now. Recognize him for who he is. And let this be a moment of heaven and earth communing. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all you've done. I don't think we could ever come to the end of just blessing you, Lord Jesus, for what you accomplished on our behalf. Thank you that that rift has been restored, that heaven and earth are now coming together in our hearts, Lord. That's why you say when your people gather together, you're here in our midst. Because you want to commune with your people. The question for us is often, are we ready for that? Are we ready to open our hearts? Are we ready to speak with you? Are we ready to be real with you? Are we ready to lay out our hearts and just be desperate before you, God? Help us to strip away those 
those barriers, to strip away that pride, to strip away anything in our lives that keeps us from just being real before you today. So we thank you again, God, for all that you've done. We want to now commit the rest of our time in worship and praise to glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen.